What is up, guys? Welcome back. I gotta say, I love, love Bilal's uh, little drummer set, but it is that time of week. We are joined by none other than Sam Rule and Dylan LeClaire, gentlemen from the BM Pro team. How goes it? Yo, yo. Uh, Q, I think you're muted in spaces there. Uh, but doing good, chilling. Uh, more, more craziness today. Uh, I think we're going to probably be focused on the the focus of our last probably two weeks here uh the the contagion in in the industry uh from lending desks to to hedge funds to you know, all the like uh i don't know if we've seen the end of it hopefully not but that's going to be that's going to be the focus here and there's a lot to break down it's all it's all seemingly kind of intertangled awesome yo yo I'm really excited sam please i'm gonna stop talking <laughs> no you could q uh i was gonna say hey uh in that uh Pretty crazy. I missed last week completely. I was on vacation and I pretty much had no service for the entire week. So uh, probably a net good thing at the end of the day. But uh, been diving into a lot of the contagion stuff as of late with price, with equities, legacy markets, crypto markets. So pretty exciting few days back. And we're also joined by none other than CK Snarks. How goes it, CK? It goes well, man. Uh, I'm I'm hyped to be uh, calling in from the studio once again back on Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Want to give a shout out to everyone tuning in on Spaces. Uh, you can go to Bitcoin Magazine's YouTube page and uh, see all of our beautiful faces, maybe even some charts as we break all of this stuff down. Uh, also, you know, want to give a, a quick shill to uh, to Bitnex and tell them thank you for uh, supporting Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Um, but yeah, I mean, life is good uh, for a humble stacker. Sats are uh, on discount, and uh, it looks like that might continue as uh, the contagion, if you will, within the crypto ecosystem is far spread. Yeah, I think we'll definitely dive more into it uh, as we go. But I just think that the biggest the biggest thing on my mind uh, through all this is, is the irony that, uh, you know, the thing that Bitcoin was somewhat designed or invented or created to stop bank rehypothecation, asset rehypothecation, uh, you know, bank lending bubbles is the exact same reason why the Bitcoin exchange rate has tanked by 50% over the last couple of weeks and is down 80% from the highs. Um, it's, it's that we have more than I apparently thought, just a vast amount, billions of dollars of unsecured debt out there. Uh, and, and, you know, these dollar promises are, whether it's Bitcoin denominated or dollar denominated liabilities that were other, other people's supposed assets, other institutions, other firms like Voyager uh, is just gone in one poof. Um, and so it, it blows my mind that when you have a transparent ledger of ownership uh, with the Bitcoin UTXO set or even stable coins, which are able to be viewed on a ledger, you still have unsecured lending going on. Um, it's somewhat mind blowing uh, just, just how irresponsible some of these risks uh, that firms like Voyager and, uh, you know, many of the lending platforms we're, we're taking, uh, as well as the three arrows of the world. But, you know, for, for someone that's interested in accumulating Bitcoin, it's obviously, obviously a good thing uh, over the long term. But over the short term, uh, you know, there's some pain. And I think, you know, we, we probably haven't got to the bottom of it, in my opinion. What's just for, uh, for Sam's sake, because he was off the grid and living under a rock last week, quickly catch up, Dylan. I mean, you were on a tear. Uh, putting out articles for BM Pro, putting out Twitter threads nonstop, really breaking down both Celsius. And then we're still witnessing this unwind of three arrows. It has not really, in my 
understanding at least come to fruition, but you have been really on them in particular. Do you mind just giving a quick overview of what you saw? This is all for Sam's benefit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, it all starts with the Luna UST blow up. Um, I put out a thread. I, I pinned it at the top of the, the nest. Um, it's pinned to my homepage uh, on Twitter. Um, just about, you know, it was, and at the, at the time it was hypothetical or speculative about the contagion that was potentially going to take place um, due to just the, not so much even the, the, the Luna blow up, but the UST blow up. And obviously they were interlinked, but the fact that there was, you know, $18 billion of stable coins out there that weren't money good and actually just went to zero. Um, so I kind of just, it was, it was more of a speculation that there was going to be a lot of desks. There was going to be a lot of funds, there was going to be a lot of uh, potentially insolvent counterparties out there, and that the impairment was going to kind of wreak some havoc. Uh, and a month later, we saw um, not only with the Luna debacle, but you saw like with the whole staked ETH uh, kind of derivative complex, which is another, you know, rabbit hole to dig down that uh, I spent my last kind of month learning about. Uh, you saw Celsius really, really uh, narrowly escape the, the Luna UST debacle. You could see that on chain. And Celsius was kind of in the middle of this unwind in the staked ETH derivative um, as that one-way redemption started to, uh, that peg, which isn't a peg, but that one-way redemption from ETH to staked ETH uh, started to break and it's trading around 94 cents to the dollar at the moment. And so when you have, you know, Celsius or, you know, counterparties that are doing this to generate yield through these elaborate uh, kind of DeFi strategies, uh, and you see that, that exchange rates start to break, well, there's some questions, which is why I was you know, pretty loud about uh, Celsius in particular. Uh, as it turns out, uh, you also had three arrows that was impaired by the Luna UST debacle, um, had a bunch of staked Ethereum, and, and really there's not enough liquidity to turn that back into ETH. Uh, these mark, it's similar to kind of the GBTC mechanism where Bitcoin's very liquid, uh, GBTC is not, and when that premium turned into a discount, uh, it was even more illiquid. There's not really many buyers for it. So similar, the staked ETH uh, was also kind of like that. And so you saw three arrows uh, at the same time that Suzu was tweeting about how staked ETH was so very innovative. Three arrows was funneling money to try to try to get back liquid uh, as they were allegedly and obviously now confirmed to be insolvent. Um, so, you know, there's obviously worries about BlockFi, worries about Voyager. Um, you could see on, on uh, Voyager's quarterly report that there was you know, they lended $320 million to counterparty B in Singapore. Um, now we kind of know that that was actually Three Arrows Capital. And funny enough, counterparty A from the Virgin Islands was also, it looks to be Three Arrows Capital. If you sum up the BTC lent and the USDC lent at the time of the, the closer of the, of the first quarter, it adds up to about $1.1 uh, $1 billion, which is identical to the amount that uh, they lent, they lent, uh, they lent out to those two counterparties based, based in locations where three arrows capital, uh, resided. So a whole lot of shenanigans going on. Um, and I, you know, obviously the FTX SBF bailout or somewhat of a bailout credit line is, is helpful, but it really is just, it's just kind of a, a, you know, kind of plugs the gap. It doesn't really change any of the structural issues here, which is that all of these lenders are interlinked and the, you know, the, just the, I guess, because of these unsecured liabilities, you have this da daisy chain of defaults. Um, so I think I'm, I'm of the opinion that for the health of the industry, it would be best for it to all be purged. I'm not rooting for anyone to get liquidated by any means. But, uh, you know, this is a structural problem uh, for the Bitcoin exchange rate. The Bitcoin protocol is unaffected, but, uh, you know, all this, this debt needs to be purged. 
Sam, do you feel like you're caught up enough to comment on this? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I guess I'll just comment on like more these yield generating shop, shops, kind of lending shops out there right now where people are posting, whether it's Bitcoin or other crypto assets in general. I think the biggest critique um, about them for the longest time is just like the level of transparency that's not there in terms of, you know, quotes, the yield that you're getting in some of these. Um, and so it used to be back when the GBDC premium was so high, uh, that was such a popular trade and such a high yield trade early on for a lot of these shops. And, um, and it was necessarily more of like a, a safer market making trade, but that didn't last for a long time. Um, and that kind of diminished. And you can see some of this in loan books. Genesis Trading is, is a good company that does a lot of the market making behind this and loaning out to institutional fund shops and things like that kind of in their loan books and in their demands, a lot of people, a lot of companies started going to more of the Ethereum, DeFi, kind of yield staking type opportunities out there to be able to generate that. So I think that's necessarily like a, a sign right there that, you know, a lot of these companies, customers demanded this. Um, and then a lot of these companies go had to go find this yield and, and take on more risky practices. And obviously that has shown up in Celsius first being the most risky one of them all. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, what this whole process has lacked and hopefully through some of these yield generations, because I, I don't think that's going to go away. I think people are going to still want to find some yield on their collateral in some way. And, and these shops are going to exist. Obviously, the ones that are the most risk exposed and exposed to liquidity now is, I think, the, the big move are going to get exposed and they're going to collapse. Um, but, you know, essentially now, I think a bigger part of this, too, is that you have this three hours capital going under, and I think they have 18 billion at peak in terms of what was under the fund, whether how much uh, that was their kind of like own capital investors or what they're getting loaned out. Now that takes away a lot of the liquidity in the space too, that was there. And that's where you kind of see FTX come in and say, okay, well, we can kind of push through some of that liquidity in the short term. Um, and so it's hard to say a company like Voyager or BlockFi obviously both had some exposure to this i think in voyager's like recent release on the 12th they said that they didn't have any essentially exposure to DeFi or to lending or to um sdeth but by having exposure to three hours capital they they obviously did and their book was almost 8x in lending in like six months over that time when that that gbc premium got got pretty crushed um so I think just getting that release today and showing you that, you know, it's it's kind of FTX and, uh, you know, Sam Bankman Freed to the rescue here without meta research as well, that, uh, you know, those companies are, are looking for opportunities to essentially accumulate in a different way. They already have a pretty big stake in Voyager. Um, and so it's hard to say, you know, if this bailout, what it essentially is a revolving credit is going to keep these companies solvent enough as they try to grow and ramp into a new retail growth. But I think, you know, this is going to be one of the tough parts of that essentially just doesn't solve the transparency of these loans um, and the lending activities that are on these platforms as they are. I know if you look at someone like Ledin, uh, Bitcoin focused company, they have something like a proof of reserves that gets you a little closer to that. And you can read through some of the Genesis reports in terms of the partners they're lending out to and why, but still doesn't get to like that transparency of what's like really needed to understand that this is actual yield that's being generated in these shops. And I think most users are, are just taking on risk that they, they probably don't fully understand or are not compensated for.
It sounds a lot yeah. like, oh, sorry, Dylan, go ahead. You got it, Q. Fire it away, man. Well, the way I'm sort of understanding a lot of what you guys have said is essentially like there was a really fun dance going on and everyone thought that the music was just going to play forever and we're reaping the sort of uh, the result of the music turning off and a lot of people are just standing there like, wait a minute, this this system I thought I could just piggyback off of, if you will, for ever, it's not a viable or realistic system. Um, we're seeing various ways that these yield offerings uh, platforms are getting crushed. Walk us through, in your own words, why they thought it would work and why it just can't work. Well, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately a, a lot of the crypto yield uh, that, you know, the yield products, you're not, it's not yields, first off. What you're doing is you're selling lo the, like the long tail volatility. It's like I, I use a reference, like a lot of these yield shops, it's like selling far out of the money S&P put options. You collect a premium, you collect a premium, your account balance grows, but ultimately some three, four sigma move comes and wipes out your entire portfolio. That's what you're doing when you're depositing your Bitcoin and specifically Bitcoin. Like I think USDC yield is somewhat different um, and still it, it shouldn't make sense that you're getting an 8% yield on some of these platforms when the treasury yield is you know 3%. Like there's inherent risk there. That's, that's, that's the first thing. Um, but I think that's really important to understand, right? Like in 2021, you saw the explosion of all of these yield products, but it was for a reason, right? It was because Bitcoin went parabolic. Um, so did a lot of these like altcoins too. And on these derivative platforms, also with the rise of DeFi, there was so much demand for leverage and there was so much demand to speculatively like long Bitcoin and, and other crypto assets that you could actually generate. And also the GBTC arbitrage, you could generate a, a huge amount of, of you know, delta neutral yield, delta neutral, meaning you, you don't have exposure to the upside or downside of Bitcoin. You're just harvesting an arbitrage. So it would be selling futures, longing spot. You have no, you have no exposure to Bitcoin, the asset, but you're, you're getting at the top of the bubble. It was like a 40% annualized yield um, on perpetual futures. It's obviously a variable rate, but you could for weeks at a time, get a 50 to hundred percent yield just, be, just because of, of how leveraged uh, long the entire system was. So obviously that's all gone. There's no, there's no, nearly no contango uh, futures price over spot. The premium or that that spread on an annualized basis is like two to three to four percent maybe. So that's gone. The GBTC premium is now a GBTC discount, and it's a one-way redemption structure. So you can't take the GBTC and get your Bitcoin back. Um, that's trading at a thirty percent discount. So all of these yields that that the block fives of the world, the Celsius of the world. Um, basically had to, to arbitrage and to pay these yields disappeared. And at the same time, because of um, how well these products worked at the time, because they could harvest these, these arbitrage opportunities, the platform's asset under management grew by a lot. So the block size of the world, Celsius, Voyager, I don't have exact numbers in front of me, but I know for sure that their assets under management in USD and BTC terms increased from, the, say, the beginning of 2020 to, say, the start of 2022. There's no doubt about that. And you saw midway through the bull market, um, like the block fives of the world, they started to lower those yields that they offered because they realized it was never sustainable. Um, BlockFi also had their income statements leaked from the last two years. And they lost they lost money in 2020 and 2021. So again, I'm not here to bash any business. I'm not saying 
you know, like I'm not trying to start a bank run. I've been accused as being a fear monger, but you have to understand that the risk reward of holding specifically your Bitcoin on these exchanges for, uh, you know, a one to 2% Bitcoin denominated yield is just so not worth it. And it, and it really never was. Um, so if you got your yield from BlockFi for the last two years, great. Uh, but I would highly recommend you withdraw um, because it seems like a lot of these businesses, like like a yield or a, a loan from SBF and FTX doesn't really change anything. You're, I, I think really probably Voyager ends up being owned, the equity be, ends up being owned by FTX just due to where creditors stand in the capital structure. Um, so does FTX just take a big hit uh, and kind of make all these depositors whole? Maybe. Um, but if not for that, then then vo- the Voyager of, of the world, they're structurally insolvent. Um, and, you know, I don't know how many other of these kind of bucket shops are out there, uh, for lack of a better term, but none of them are safe. Um, that's that's just, I would say, a fact by now. Um, and I wouldn't leave it up to chance. Quick little hit list of other platforms that offer you yield on Bitcoin or other crypto. Gemini, Coinbase, as Dylan mentioned, BlockFi. Um, I believe we were talking this morning at the beginning of the stream, Chris, about, um, what was it? Okay. Coin. I know that we were talking a little bit prime trust prime. Well, prime trust was the bank. They supply both uh, Swan as well as strike, but they have a plethora of other exchanges that do actually offer yields. Um, I know that Odell was the one tweeting out about the Prime Trust stuff, and I'm sure Dylan, it'll be on your radar if it's not already soon enough. I wonder, like, why? I mean, I kind of know why, but I want your guys' opinion on this bailout that Sam Bankman Free has essentially offered to BlockFi and why it's even necessary, and why should BlockFi not fail? Or why, in your opinions, should BlockFi fail? Yeah, I mean, it's it's overall bad for the the industry, if you want to call it that, um, for these, you know, the Celsius, these platforms to, to collapse. That's not a good thing. It's a stain on the industry, on Bitcoin, even if Bitcoin is an apolitical neutral protocol, it's just not a good look. So I would say that's the first thing. And, and you saw SBF comment something similar to those lines, like, you know, we, we have an interest in stopping the contagion. One is probably just due to the fact that uh, if the market's 95% off the highs, it's not good for the FTX business model. Um, and, you know, the higher that the Bitcoin price is, the probably the more interest they have in their platform, the more fees they make. So they have a vested interest in keeping the market somewhat uh, propped up, right? They're definitely going to probably lose some lose some money uh, on these agreements um, because an insolvent, uh, a loan to an insolvent corporation like a Voyager, per se, who were t- was taking customer funds and, and lending them out unsecured to hedge funds, Three arrows, which ultimately is not money good. Uh, there, you know, more more interest, more loans doesn't actually help that platform at all. So it's it's probably just going to be a restructuring deal where FTX eats the difference. Um, so maybe there's there's some brand value or you know intangibles for for the BlockFi's of the world. Um, so that's certainly part of it. Customer acquisitions, maybe it's BlockFi brought brought to you by FTX in a year. I'm not sure. Um, ultimately, but. I, I would say that it's probably in you know big players' interest to stem this kind of industry-wide contagion we've seen. Um, whether this is the end of it or not, or more dead bodies float to shore, I, I have my uh, you know I have my doubts. I don't think this is over. Um, but I would also like to just you know distinguish between 
Bitcoin denominated yields or say other crypto assets versus the native protocol yields that some of these these altcoin shitcoins spin off. That's just really just paid with emissions or paid with kind of uh, the inflation of the of the token itself. So like ETH 2.0, if if it ever becomes a thing, which it probably will, they're paying you, you know, you're getting yield for staking built off, you know, spun off from the protocol. There's no way that can work with a proof of work network with an absolutely scarce asset like Bitcoin, which is why Bitcoin denominated yield is always, there's always inherent risk there. It's never, they have to do something with those coins. Um, so I think that's just an important distinguish, you know, to distinguish, right, is some of these altcoins, they have their altcoin denominated yield that they pay for through the token emission or through, you know, a bunch of other kind of elaborate schemes. But with, with Bitcoin, there, there's no way to actually harvest or generate yield in a risk-free way, um, which is, is often misunderstood um, from my experience. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's partially misunderstood because one, there's yield in the traditional banking system that people are pretty familiar with without actually having a really strong understanding of it. But two, crypto marketing has really ran with this idea of yield and gone hard to the paint with it. When the reality is that none of these things are actually delivering yield based on the original definition, right? So uh, if anything, it, it, it's, uh, it's a very different type of a trade that people are unintentionally or un, are unknowingly kind of getting themselves into because they're used to this idea of like, I deposit money and I get interest. Yeah, I mean, to add on to CK's point, I mean, it's it's not something that in the future you think of like something that's more closely related to Bitcoin and you have more productive yield that's, you know, Bitcoin being loaned out and, and being returned with kind of like Bitcoin alpha generated there. It's also just like a period of like euphoria and greed and speculation, the idea that, you know, people are going to go generate an extra percent yield on assets that have been going up thousands of percent over the last couple of years too is just kind of maybe the ridiculous phase of, whether you call it the top or the speculative cycle that that we're in. Um, but going back to, to Q's original questions, I think Dylan said, well, like why does FTX stand to benefit from essentially taking on lines of credit here and taking on more of the debt cap table of these companies? I mean, they already have 11% share and voting rights in, uh, in Voyager. So I think there's incentive there, obviously, to try to keep the business afloat. But I think broadly it goes to that, um, that this is bad for the space. The more kind of bucket shops or yield generating shops that go under, especially the, the size of BlockFi and Voyager, they're probably in those top five yield generating kind of exchange spaces by size, by customer assets and platform. I think Voyager has over 5.8 billion, um, you know, and half of that in their statements was essentially out in some of these more risky activities. Um, so having one of those shops go under again, like Celsius did just hurts the entire space would essentially hurt kind of customer growth and acquisition and demand for the space as well. And I, and all three of these companies, I mean, FTX obviously much better off in, in what they've been able to build and a lot different than this, although they do offer some yield generation um, is that they're all at a kind of pivotal time where everyone is trying to grow retail customers and kind of more, you know, quotes, crypto adoption and getting more people in the door, it's essentially like their business models are built on that of taking losses over the last few years to the bull market so that they can kind of scale up retail customer acquisition so that they can eventually make enough money. So 
any one of these shops going under just increases the the regulation scrutiny that's that's already coming um, and kind of just deflates more of the the demand for kind of retail growth over the next year to to join in on these shops and to continue that. So, I mean, making these things, whether ride for another year or whether they fold under FTX, obviously it's it's probably an interesting acquisition strategy for them to just get more roots in the space um, if they're going into more of yield generation or other lines of business. But I think overall, it's just, you know, you don't want to see the entire space go under any more than it is because it just affects everyone's business at that point. I would love to like jump in and, and ask you two about your opinions on really the rise of FTX over the past three or four, I guess it's like two or three years. And, you know, no matter you know what you think of the actual product or products, it seems that they found ways to weave their tentacles very successfully into almost every aspect of, of this industry and even to players that were traditionally not even part of the crypto industry like Robinhood. I, I saw that uh, you know SBF bought the dip on, on their publicly traded stock and now has a, a large share of that as well. So I guess what are your takes on the company FTX, the leader that is FTX? Uh, that Sam Bankman freed and, you know, the, all the products that they're kind of building under them. Yeah. I mean, certainly I've, I've used FTX. Um, it's a solid platform. I, I think the, the rise and, and the kind of the growth of the company is, is good. Obviously there's, uh, you know, it's not Bitcoin only, none of the crypto exchanges are. Um, I think that's just a pure incentive thing. So it, it obviously makes sense. Um, I think they just rose because they offer a superior product. Um, you know, they have global derivative suites, like similar to, to Binance, uh, which allowed them to, to grow on market share from say the Coinbase's of the world, which are only spot or which are spot only. Um, also the liquidation engine compared to that of, of certain uh, exchanges is, is pretty good. Uh, they, they allow cross collateralization, which uh, is, is good for traders and optionality, but I would say it's part of the reason that we're in this, and not to blame FTX, because I think this is just uh, a symptom of the whole crypto industry as in general. Uh, but that cross collateralization of Bitcoin and altcoins is part of the reason that we're here in the first place. It's part of the reason that Luna blows up, the, you know, altcoins get massacred and Bitcoin falls. It's because it's all kind of cross collateralized against each other. Um, so, I mean, the, the product is, is pretty solid, I, I will say. Uh, and I think, you know, future you know, kind of the futuristic vision of like a, a financial service company that allows you to, to have Bitcoin borrow against it as collateral, or, you know, peer to peer lend borrow, like you can, you can borrow or lend dollars on FTX, but it's not really apothecated, it's directly peer to peer, similar to how like some open interest contracts work uh, on, on other derivative exchanges. So I think that's, that's solid. Um, they're not, they're not the one that's lending, it's, it's completely peer to peer. Um, so I think that's pretty, pretty cool, I, I guess. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, they also, it's similar to kind of like Arthur Hayes and BitMEX. There's, uh, they have a trading prop desk, which supposedly is not affiliated with Almeda, but uh, there's definitely some liquidation hunting going on. So we can discuss the merits of that. But, uh, you know, overall, I think FTX probably transitions or kind of merges with the legacy institutions and starts to offer equities and, and other assets and, and, you know, kind of emerges as a, as a do all brokerage, uh, probably a few years out. So that's exciting. I think Bitcoin kind of integrating with the legacy system more and more, uh, with equities, bonds, et cetera. 
uh, is a good step, but I think that's probably all I have to say in terms of the, the company. Yeah, I, w- I would just add, I mean, to Dylan's point, I mean, overall, I think net positive thing for the space. I think, you know, with FTX's background of just saying, how can we come in and basically all of the perpetual funding exchange products on the market at the time and just saying, how can we build something much better product for the users at that space and be innovative and kind of execute on that and have um, kind of better capital management and risk management and growth that they've done today. Um, I've, you know, apparently, you know, right now you, we can see them as kind of like rising as this almost like Amazon of the space where they're going to branch out and try to a lot of different business lines, whether that's in the Bitcoin space, the crypto space, the traditional finance world. They're just going to continue to like try to branch out and break down some of these middlemen um, and kind of fill some of those efficiency and kind of innovation gaps there. So you mentioned Robinhood. I think within one Robinhood trade, Sam Bankman Freen was talking about that. You know, there's essentially 10 middlemen or counterparties within that, essentially. So being a company that can come in and maybe take that essentially very low counterparty risk that's in the nature of the broader crypto space that we see today, at least a lot less risk, a lot less counterparties, shouldn't say level of risk, but a lot less counterparties that are in some of these traditional finance markets and maybe try to innovate there and create some more efficiencies. Probably not a positive thing. Um probably with Dylan of the opinion that I don't necessarily think that these bailouts were revolving line of credits by FTX. They're going to make FTX larger for sure that they're necessarily good things, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, kind of a, a free market in that world. And um, they, they've at least tried to be pretty proactive and, and be a space that is not going to like stay in the industry overall. And they've, I think they've put a lot of thought into, into trying to make sure that you don't have something like this where, where companies go under, that's going to make things worse. So, Overall, definitely becoming a behemoth, probably some some issues with that down the world, down the road, but I think kind of just free market activity that's that's playing out and, you know, servicing demand for, for what people want, at least. Talk to us a little bit about maybe what your expectations are or where you guys are looking for maybe the next unwind. Um, I know Three Arrows, 3AC has been at the forefront of a lot of your conversations, Dylan, um, what or why is that maybe the next, I want to say, I don't want to say target necessarily, but the next <laughs> domino to fall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, unfortunately don't think we're at a bottom. Um, I, I think that a lot of the cross, uh, or the, the collateralized debt on DeFi, uh, that, the, you know, the Celsius of the world and, uh, there's, there's still a lot out there, um, transparent liquidations, uh, just from gauging, talking to some institutional traders. Um, obviously everybody understands the broader risk off macro regime, uh, dollar soaring higher risk off, uh, environment, um, whether, you know, we're in a bear market rally for equities is, is, you know, I think, I think we are, but probably that turns over at some point. And so just from talking to a lot of these, you know, big money traders, even just like retail, um, there's not really an interest in stepping in here and, and buying um, while there's still over leveraged players um, that are be- going to become, if we get to these levels, for sellers. Um, so whether that's 17K, 16K, 15K, 14K, it could just be a wick. Um, but just off Bitcoin's past, uh, you know, these bottoms are usually marked by an utter liquidation of all mark to market debt. Uh, and that can include, you know, Ethereum and some of these altcoins, right? 
Celsius is still sitting on 400,000 staked ETH that, uh, that they borrowed dollars against. So staked ETH is relatively uh, e-liquid. Um, you, you have the curve pool that is a majority Ethereum uh, or a majority staked ETH and only 20% Ethereum. So there's not really any exit liquidity there. Um, there's a big target on their back. And so I think maybe not just Celsius, but there's, there's a whole bunch of debt out there that's probably going to get, going to get liquidated. I mean, I've been, I've been nibbling at some buys, but uh, I don't think this, this is all uh, resolved until, until, you know, we see another flush out um, either that, or it takes a, a lot, a lot of chop and consolidation to get to the other side of this, but just based off of kind of the bond market based off uh, the consumer, based off what the fed is, is saying, they're literally telling you that they want lower asset prices to, to stifle demand. Uh, I don't know if we bought them. So I don't know what fund or, you know, uh, firm is next. I'm not trying to be some bounty hunter. Like I, that's not my incentive. I, I have no incentive. Actually, I have like the opposite incentive. I, I, I have exposure to Bitcoin, quite a lot of it. Like I don't necessarily want it to go down. Uh, but I think that's just the reality of the situation um, you know, that we face. There's, there's just a whole bunch of uh, overexposed underwater players from, you know, DeFi collateralized loans to also like say Bitcoin miners uh, who are getting their margins really squeezed with hash price nearing all time lows uh, that have a whole bunch of collateralized debt. So therefore sellers. Um, and I think just based on how bad this recession might be, there's going to be a lot of other four sellers too. Um, so I think the bid, the big money bids underneath that, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Nothing's for certain. I certainly don't have all the answers. Hey man, I've been taking my trading cues from Pete Rizzo for some time and it's actually been very lucrative. I highly recommend you give him a follow, but, um, you touched on when I asked about like why would St. Bankman-Fried want to even bail out BlockFi, that they have him being such a big player and a big bag holder, he has incentive to keep the dance going, if you will. You also allude to the fact that while you may not necessarily be the level of a bag holder, someone like St. Bankman-Fried or just any of these exchanges, you still have an incentive to see Bitcoin not crater down and want to see it go up is there like a is there a middle ground where some sort of a leverage or debt position can exist in a healthy bitcoin ecosystem in your opinion yeah i mean totally i don't want to don't want to steal the show here and certainly want to hear sam's thoughts but i mean i i've spoken out and said you know uh in certain situations bitcoin collateralized debt especially for someone that's, you know, all in if done responsibly is, is totally an option if you don't want to pay capital gains or whatnot. Um, obviously, the, the lower the price goes, uh, the more, you know, the, the safer you are, certainly you don't want to take your entire stack of Bitcoin at 60k uh, and collateralize it, uh, you know, with 50% loan to value and get liquidated at 30,000. That's not optimal. Um, but you know, there's, there's, I would say, you know, honestly, I'm waiting for the Fed to, to, to get easing again before, you know, before doing some of these strategies. Um, and obviously, there's counterparty risk, um, companies like Unchained Capital, um, not affiliated with them, but, you know, they, they, when you deposit Bitcoin as collateral uh, for against dollar denominated debt, they, they give you a key out of the one of three multi-sig. And so you can watch your Bitcoin and know that it's not moving and know that's not rehypothecated. That's certainly attractive. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be opening up market to market debt positions now, um, but certainly uh, whether it's lower prices or just, you know, a Fed pivot or, you know, just <laughs> the chart looks a little better. Um, I think collateralized debt 
uh, against your Bitcoin is, is certainly like it's profitable over the long run to short fiat. The only problem is, or maybe not problem, but the reality is that the, the dollar uh, has these kind of strengthening cycles uh, where, where uh, if you're short the dollar, you get quite wrecked. Um, so, you, you know, there is a little bit of timing there. Um, but over the long term, I have an interest in shorting the dollar uh, and longing Bitcoin. It's just a matter of, you know, doing it right and doing it where you never become a forced seller, which is obviously, you know, takes some positioning and, and a little bit of, of, of skill and luck. Yeah, and I, I'd probably say for the majority of people, it's not even useful um, in the sense that, like, you need to be able to manage risk profiles, liquidation, kind of thresholds that you're willing to take. You need to be able to understand, you know, if, if you took out massive loans of Bitcoin at 40,000 um, and now you're topping that up, like, you're in a dangerous position where you are now. So I think people realizing that, if you're going to do it um, for the majority of people, it makes sense for for a small amount of positions. But I think for the majority, taking taking that on um, probably doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense in in, in the assets. There, just from from my view, I don't know if uh, the the risk reward is there or if people quite uh, understand what that is. Um, but generally, for someone like me, I'd be willing to do it at at a small kind of good entry point, and am looking for like opportunities to do it here. Absolutely. Um, and then just in terms of like the, the space overall where kind of debt is going and leverage is going, it's it's just kind of one of those violent 24-7 free markets that just kind of like, uh, you know, breeds off that pretty much like the perpetual uh, funding market being, you know, like most of the, the volume that's traded within Bitcoin. I don't think that's ever going to go away. It's probably going to smooth down and, and maybe get less volatile over time as the asset grows and um things get a little bit more sophisticated, but I think that's just kind of the nature of the system in terms of kind of violent leverage when you're only a 700 billion or maybe 500 billion market cap, whatever it is now. Um, and, and kind of open 24 seven and, and probably, you know, the only true free market out there. I think there's also something to be said about, you know, your position size relative to, to, you know, what you're trying to do. If you have $10,000 of Bitcoin, it, it legitimately makes no sense to go put that up and borrow against it. And, you know, whether you're buying more Bitcoin or, you know, trying to finance something, it just, it just doesn't really make sense. But, you know, if you have, you know, if you're an early Bitcoiner or whatever the case may be and have, you know, a large stack of Bitcoin that maybe isn't all of your assets, or you can pledge just 2% of it as collateral to finance your lifestyle or to make another investment or do whatever, that's probably uh, a, a pretty reasonable thing to do. Uh, especially, you know, as I, I believe that over time, these, these Bitcoin collateralized solutions, um, given, you know, say a two to one or maybe four to one over collateralization, uh, I think that rate similar to like, say, a, a, a Charles Schwab, when you can borrow it at like Fed funds plus 50 basis points, I think, you know, Bitcoin collateralized loans with established firms over collateralized loans will be some of the lowest rates that you can get. It's just it's just, it's just a fact that over collateralized Bitcoin is is better and more attractive Um for a lender than a mortgage or some of these other collateral types than a car, right? Um, and so for that reason, obviously people will cite the volatility, but that's the entire point of over collateralization. If I pledge $40,000 of Bitcoin and then borrow 10,000, the price can drop by 75% before I get margin called. Um, and so I, I just think that, you know, when taking this into account, if you don't have like a, a ginormous stack or a pretty, a pretty reasonable size amount of Bitcoin, it's better for you to just stack out in cold storage, avoid all mark to market leverage and, you know, just forget about it. But for someone with a pretty large position that, 
you know, understands the risks and the trade-offs, then, then sure. Uh, just, you know, never, never become a poor seller. That's the number one rule. I want to ask a question that's going to piss you guys off. And I just, before you get upset over it, I'm sorry. But like, let's talk a little bit about this inevitable bottom because there will be a bottom of this bear bear market and then a new bull run. Uh, my thesis so far out the door at 28 K like don't even, I'm a moron. Uh, my second thesis of no way in hell will break the previous all time, previous cycles, all time high thrown out the fucking door. Is there some sort of a couch, calculation or expectation on where you guys are eyeing maybe some uh tips on where your limit orders are currently set up at (laughs) um yeah i mean not really uh waiting just for i think the legacy markets continue to melt down um i mean i snagged i snagged uh spot bitcoin i mean i posted it transparently on twitter i snagged a a bitcoin at 17.8 um pretty fully hedged, uh, margin, margin short Ethereum, uh, been, been on and off for a while. So, um, you know, feel like feeling okay about that. I would, I would just say, uh, you know, whether anyone that's telling you they know where a bottom is, is, is probably lying to you, um, or just supremely overconfident. Um, there's obviously like the crypto, uh, leverage risk. Um, the, the Dixie probably goes to 120 <laughs> this cycle. Uh, the VIX is, is probably explodes before all said and done. Um, and, you know, consumer confidence is at all time lows. Like the reality is people don't really have a lot of money. Retail doesn't have the money. Institutions aren't, aren't really interested in going on the furthest out on the risk curve. Right? Never mind the fact that like, like Bitcoiners will say it's a risk-free asset. It's a unit of account. One BTC equals one BTC. I agree with a lot of that over the long term. Over the short term, no one's, no one's really interested in, in yellowing into uh, an 80 vol asset. Uh, as we're in a, a system-wide deleveraging in the legacy markets. Um, so how low that goes, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I certainly am going to be interested in the mid-teens, um, but really looking to the derivative market, perpetual swaps for sure, and to see a sustained period of like negative funding or in the quarterly futures market, like backwardation, showing that you know, most of that spot selling has, has potentially taken place and and all that derivatives and all those, all that leverage is actually betting on the price to go lower and not higher. Um, it's like the opposite of what you see at, at tops. Um, so where that is, how long it takes uh, is anyone's guess. Um, you know, you can certainly stack here and I, it's, it's a great place to do it. But also, I mean, I, I would say save a little bit of dry powder. Um, Sam and I kind of had a framework of, of realized price, kind of that average cost basis of Bitcoin and the 200 week moving average as these really, really, long-term uh, attractive entry points for a bottom or for, you know, a bear market entry point. Um, we've, we've been kind of saying that since the fall, which was around 25K, uh, 20K. Um, those hit, but I, I just don't think with all of this stuff playing out, the contagion that we've been talking about and, and writing about for the last two weeks, really doesn't make sense to, you know, sit, call a bottom at any level with supreme confidence. Um, and for a SAS stacker, you know, this is, this is an absolute dream um, for someone that's trading this or, is interested in just the speculation during a bull market, then, you know, right now may not be the best, the best time for you. <laughs> yeah, that was really well said. Um, I'll just add, I mean, me and Dylan been talking about this. There's a lot of 
different angles to look at it. I think what Dylan mentioned in terms of like just having this kind of on-chain benchmark of this, well, one, realized price. And then we've talked about breaking that realized price network up into long-term holders and short-term holders. Um, now that long-term holder realized price around there is kind of like 22 and a half, right around there, kind of right, right at the cost basis. So that was been like a guiding uh, kind of metric for a while to say, okay, well, we want to see kind of a capitulation events before in Bitcoin's history. And it's, you know, very small sample size of data to look back at capitulation events. See a lot of price go below that. And I think it's a good reason, like real capitulation events, you know, people have been holding the asset for a while need to kind of feel some pain in a lot of these forced sell-offs and drawdowns, especially, you know, we're in a pretty unique economic territory that we're in now, kind of real turning point that I don't think we were in any of these, these previous cycles. Um, so I think for the first time we felt some like of that capitulation type pain, we didn't necessarily see some of the overshorting behavior, like Dylan mentioned in the perpetual futures market um, that we've seen before, which is a good indication that people are just like shorting Bitcoin into the dirt, into its bottom, kind of a sentiment change about, you know, uh, that it's too low. Um, obviously like the crypto kind of contagion fears that are out there, I think for a while too, from you know, January, we've been saying like a big, um, piece in the legacy markets as well is just, you know, one, you kind of got to watch this bottom, like see more of like a durable equities bottom. And we've seen like a lot of bear market rallies. I hate posting this chart. I've been putting together a few times. It's just kind of like the S and P drawdowns compared to like the 08 crisis and the 2000.com bubble and just the violent nature kind of like zigzagging of these bear market rallies in this down channel that happens. Um, not necessarily, you know, to, to, spark fear but just to say that like uh, based on a lot of metrics it just seems like the s&p's got a lot further to go and it's hard to see bitcoin bottom or do better without inequities kind of bear market being over so kind of never seen that before so, so those are some things we're looking for also just kind of in the legacy financial markets you know obviously we've seen contagion spread through maybe more the crypto markets but still haven't seen maybe levels of blow-ups there that potentially on the horizon that we could see Still look at something like the volatility index, uh, the VIX, they have the S and P, and like credit volatility. Still haven't seen those blow out or credit spreads blow out, blow out like we've previously seen. So those, some of those are like the legacy legacy market stuff that we're watching, um, and then from like an on chain perspective, some of the things I posted at just a thread earlier, earlier yesterday on some of the charts I look like to look at um, just to let you know, like in terms of capitulation and. Um, what people sitting in unreal lo un unrealized losses that this can happen for a long time. It can happen for a couple of months, a few months. It can be sustained. So we kind of have this one, what feels like capitulation event, maybe a small, decent chance that that's the bottom in my view. But um, I think that generally people feeling more pain for like a prolonged period of time and seeing how they react to that would, uh, would give me a little bit more confidence in, in where it bottoms up. So I have one final question for you all before we wrap this one up. Um, the question kind of revolves around Bitcoin's place in the overall market, right? Uh, we saw with March of 2020 that Bitcoin deleveraged faster than all traditional assets. And then Bitcoin, you know, bounced back harder and faster than all traditional assets uh, a lot of people are, you know, saying that Bitcoin is going to lead the market once again here and that the fact that there are no bailouts in the Bitcoin market other than, you know, I guess maybe 
FTX and, and private market bailouts, um, that this will uh, that this will help you know kind of Bitcoin uh, be a better signal for what for what's actually happening in the economy. Uh, Dylan, why don't you start? But you know, what's your take on you know Bitcoin as a greater signal for market health or uh, lack of health? Yeah, I think there's certainly something there. Um, we saw Bitcoin top out uh, before equities and, and uh, the bond market started, the credit market started to really scream uh, in November. Um, like the top was right around when Powell came out and said, we need to do something about this, this uh, not so transitory inflation. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's interesting as Bitcoin. I, I've kind of had a thesis since 2021 as Bitcoin's like the most pure signal of, of credit contraction uh, or credit expansion in the legacy system or at least it's growing into that. And so it makes sense during a period where the central bank's unwinding its balance, or it's uh, you know kind of pulling that capital in. It's instead of money printer to go burr, it's like money printer go uh, <laughs> like whir, and it's, it's pulling all the, that money back in. Uh, it makes sense that Bitcoin's exchange rate is, is declining. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, 24 seven, 365, mark to market leverage is, is being liquidated and, and all that collateral. There's, you know, unlike a house or unlike a, you know, some, some of these, uh, you say equities or bonds that um, have circuit breakers and have, you know, market hours, Bitcoin trades 24, 7, 365, and is certainly in the process of a pretty, pretty rapid deleveraging, right? 50% down from, I don't know, 10 days ago. Um, so, I mean, that's my base case is Bitcoin bottoms first. Um, we're going to see whether we've seen the worst of the contagion and capitulation or, or not. Uh, I think we probably get a wick lower. And I think, you know, more pain, more pain comes to Bitcoin. Uh, and similar to last, you know, mini bear market in 2020 um, with the Fed coming in. Um, I don't know if the Fed comes in right away, but and I, I honestly don't think they do. But Bitcoin Bitcoin had recovered 40% from its bottom by the time that the equities bottomed 10 days later. Um, so I, I kind of view it in a similar light where we have all this mark to market leverage. You have all these off balance sheet uh, assets and liabilities um, that are, you know, just disappearing like like Voyager. Uh, and so there's pain. We're seeing Bitcoin sell off as a result. Um, but I, I think just due to this, the kind of the 365 nature of Bitcoin, 24-7 uh, nature rather, that, yeah, we will see a bottom and, and Bitcoin delevers first. Uh, and once, you know, once the Fed comes out or Powell comes out and says some obscure speech that, you know, they need to finance the treasury market or stabilize this, that or the other thing, I think that's when Bitcoin absolutely flies um, just because people understand that this end game uh, is, is, you know, more debasement and more printing. Um, so I think if, if that answers your question, I, I, I think so. Yeah, hard to, hard to top that. I would just add, you know, my own thoughts. I see Bitcoin as just like this liquidity kind of sponge or vacuum almost. Like when the liquidity is on, uh, it's, it's taken at first and it's taken as much as it can get. And um, when it's been turned off, like it's been turned off over the last three or four months and that liquidity is getting contracted and there's more of a dollar rush here in the environment and today it's getting pulled out extremely fast and i think that's just because of where bitcoin is at today and how it's thought of in the markets it's still one of those uh, things that's finding its place even though uh, we might see it as this decentralized kind of superior money that's on the horizon with a vast amount of use cases it's still on that just far end of the risk um, spectrum overall so I think ultimately what you're looking for is, is uh, you know, hate to always um, bring up the Fed in terms of 
whether it's their managing expectations of the markets or the markets reacting to that, it's really, uh, you know, a bigger part about central bank liquidity and liquidity in markets that's going to probably change the tides for Bitcoin. Um, maybe that's towards the end of this year. We're already starting to see a little bit of a kind of Fed pivot in rates that's coming in. And really just at the end of the day where, where some of these central banks um, have to go back and turn on the liquidity so that we have functioning markets. And, and when that happens and there's more excess in the system, I think that's when uh, we'll start to see another rise in Bitcoin, but that certainly could take some time. Well said, guys. And I just want to quickly uh, shout out to everyone who is watching both on YouTube as well as over on Twitter spaces. If you are enjoying this analysis, you are enjoying what Sam and Dylan have to say in their perspective there's no reason you should not be subscribed to the free version of Bitcoin Magazine Pro, where Dylan and Sam break down everything that they're seeing in the markets. Uh, we've pinned a link to the top. We've sent out links on the chat. We'll make sure to include it in the description as well. Dylan, Sam, I'll let you two maybe share a little bit more about what you guys are cooking up for the BM Pro product. Yeah, we like to cover a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously, the contents of this show, uh, talk about Bitcoin markets, increasingly uh, the crypto complex <laughs> Although that's, that's not our focus, we just covered because it obviously relates to Bitcoin, the asset and its price action. Cover Bitcoin mining, uh, macro backdrop, um, derivatives on chain. We, we like to cover it all um, just to kind of give people a view of, of what's happening and why. And, and we, we do it with some pretty good visuals, we think. So um, that's us. That's, that's what we do. I uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, and we will, I think Sam and I are in the works of uh, putting together a, a detailed report of of this contagion mess. Uh, so I think that'll be released uh, Tuesday of next week. Uh, so, so subscribe and tune in uh, if you want to want to get a peek of that first. And of course, if yeah, you're well, not, well said. Thanks for having us guys. Thanks for having us guys. Of course. Sorry. Of course, sorry. I'm just going to say it quick and ignore what I'm hearing in my head. Uh, if you're not following these two on Twitter, you absolutely should be. They are truly two of the smartest people. I learn more from reading Dylan's tweets, even his trolling tweets, than I do from any conversation I have with P. So if you like us, you like them more. Trust me. Um, um, also, subscribe to the free version. You already get plenty of emails, so like, there's no reason to just add one more email that you'll inevitably get. This one will actually give value to your life, make you a better person, and who knows, maybe help you make a little bit of Bitcoin money, whatever you want to make. So... That's that's my sh my hard shell because this is my genuinely favorite newsletter and favorite email that I get. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you both for the work that you two that you two do. Um, that's a wrap. Peace.